Hey everyone, welcome again to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off of the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Greatest Horror Movies of All Time list. I think I'm starting to get this down. I, I think I've done a few in a row that have all, all been more or less the same. Yeah. So hopefully it sounds like it makes sense now. A um, thin veneer of professionalism. Yeah, the thinnest. <laughs> My name is Clay and with me as always is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm just dandy. How are you? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. Um, we are taking a detour into uh, uh, remake, remake slash reboot slash alternate timeline sequel today with uh, <laughs> number 91 on the list, 2018's Halloween. Spooky. Um, this has, it was, it's number 91 on the list. It has a 79% Rotten Tomato score. Adjusted score of ninety five point one nine four. Um, yeah. You are a big Halloween fan, are you not? I am. And uh, had you seen this before? I had not. This this is one that I was. Uh, I stayed away from it because I was terrified it was going to ruin something I loved. I see. So you you you're not a Halloween fan in that you just devour everything that has the Halloween name on it. You just really like the original. Yes, have I'm you, a purist. Have you seen any of the sequels? I think you and I and, and some, some friends watched three. Right, yes. Yes. I, yeah, we, I think that was last year, yeah. I think so. So I, I think three, and I think I've seen some of the, oh God, maybe maybe one of the really late sequels, like partially on TV or something. I don't really remember. Mm. Well, it doesn't matter, because this doesn't have anything to do with any of those. So, Which was great. Yes, uh, yeah, I saw this in the theater last year or two years ago now when it came out. Um, I was given the when I heard who was making this, um, mm-hmm. I was a little bit hesitant. Uh, oh. and, and then I watched Vice Principals on HBO, which is oh. one of the best television shows <laughs> I've seen in the last 10 years and is. So funny, but also so extremely dark that... I am so unsurprised that you enjoyed that show. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> did you Did you not enjoy Vice Principals? Not my favorite. Ah. Um, but it's, it's so funny, but it's also so dark. And so when I heard that uh, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride were, were going to do a Halloween movie, I was just excited for whatever they ended up coming out with, because it was going to be interesting... Uh, at the very least, and I think that's uh, that's they they succeeded in that front. Um, but yeah, so we'll play the trailer real quick, and then we'll uh, get into talking about it. We're here to investigate a patient that killed three innocent teenagers on a Halloween in 1978. He was shot by his own psychiatrist and taken into custody that night, and has spent the last 40 years in captivity. Hello, Michael. I have something you might like to see. Everyone in my family like turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean, your grandmother is Laurie Strode. She was almost murdered. Wasn't it her brother who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. T 
you know that I pray every night that he would escape? What the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. Dad, look out! The bus crashed. Mom, what bus crashed? Michael escaped. Excuse me, somebody's in here. Hello? for this night. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. Get out of the world! Get inside! You don't believe in the boogeyman? He's here! Michael! You should. Can you close the closet door? All right, Halloween, technically Halloween 2018, just to try to be less confusing. Uh, <laughs> directed by David Gordon Green, written by Jeff Fradley, Danny McBride, and David Gordon Green. Starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, Andy Matichak, and some amazing child actors. Yeah. Um, what happens in this movie, Amanda? It's been 40 years since Laurie Strode survived a vicious attack from crazed killer Michael Myers on Halloween night. Locked up in an institution, Myers manages to escape when his bus transfer goes horribly wrong. Lori now faces a terrifying showdown when the masked madman returns to Haddonfield, Illinois. But this time, she's ready for him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, so some things you will find in this movie include uh, excessive Lonnie references, but no actual Lonnie. Mm -hmm. Where is he? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Uh, literal headlamps. Mm -hmm. Multi-generational ass-kicking. Always good. Mannequin-based decorating. Mm -hmm. Scare the kids. <laughs> and everybody's favorite, questionable parenting. Three generations of questionable parenting. Well, technically... <laughs> a lot. A lot of questionable parenting in this. I guess... A lot of... I don't know. I guess... Uh, uh, what's her name? Alyssa? Is that the main girl? Um... Uh, Allison. Allison. God, I'm so bad at these names. Um, <laughs> you, I'll tell you, the only reason I knew it was an AL name was because I was just looking at the cast list like five minutes ago. Otherwise, I would not have known in a million years what her name was. Um, uh, her family God. Her family doesn't seem too bad, but uh, uh, her mo her grandmother obviously has some uh, has some has some problems. Um, yeah, just a few. Yeah, uh, yeah. As I mentioned, this is a sequel it is a it is a sequel to the original halloween mm -hmm. the original halloween which has had uh five six seven sequels and a oh, remake Jesus. and a, re a sequel to that remake already this is uh this movie is ignoring everything but the original so gone is uh 
Michael Myers and Laurie Strode being brother and sister. Gone is uh, any reference to the the secret order of the naked thawn or whatever the hell it's called in, in, in episode six or whatever. Um, oh, God. Gone is the fact that Laurie Strode was a school teacher at a private school for a while in Halloween oh. H2O. Gone is Buster Rhymes. Um, <coughs> gone is the Rob I Zombie remix. I think that's maybe the one that I saw a part of on TV a long time ago. Was yeah. the one with Buster Rhymes yeah. in it. I was yeah. just like, fuck this. Yes. I can't do this. Yes. Uh, <laughs> gone is the Rob Zombie remake and its sequel. Uh, just the first one in this one, which isn't really that helpful because now they're they're both named Halloween. So it's uh, it, it gets a little confusing. But um, I we have definitely entered an interesting era where sequels, remakes, and reboots are so prevalent that you can do something like this um, and have it be totally accepted and not weird at all, which I'm totally fine with. I think, you know, as far as... I, I'm not a huge continuity person, um, so I'm if it's a good movie, I'm happy to watch it. I don't care what it's a sequel of and what it isn't a sequel of. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about this trend? I, I like it. I, I like it because I think it lets audiences access something of the nostalgia that's mm-hmm. been such a big thing in, in so much of, like, media and entertainment in the last, like, ten or so years. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to have done all of the homework to actually enjoy it. Like, right. if you've watched the original Halloween even just once, like I've watched it a lot, but even if you've just seen it once, you're, you're going to get the echoes in this movie. You're going to see the, the, the references and the sort of homages and you're going to feel that sense of like, like knowing, which can be really satisfying Mm -hmm. when you're watching it where it's like, Oh oh my God, he's going to do this thing again. Or he's going to like, like it's following the tradition and, and the patterns set out by the original and it kind of just lets you cut out all the superfluous stuff and all the kind of questionable choices that have been right. made in the last, oh, 40 years. Yeah, yeah. Because that's a long time. Like, like the original Halloween came out in 1978. Yeah, yeah. And this came out 40 years later. That's mm-hmm. a very wide period of time to make a lot of bad decisions with your franchise. And they sure did. And um, they sure did. I, I, think, I think on the list of horror movie franchises halloween has always been of the big four or big three it's always been my least favorite because i feel like it was the uh least consistent and i just i just never really i never really liked michael myers i didn't think he was very interesting they they do all these backflips like i was saying uh, as far as these mystical things they add on to him to try and make him more interesting and familiar relationships and try to make him more interesting and um the thing that they do in this movie that actually makes me care about michael myers and kind of reassess my uh feelings of the character is they realize that the thing about him that works is if he has absolutely zero motivation other than the fact that he just likes killing people yep and the genius of this movie which I I think I last episode I said there was there was one thing they didn't do in this movie which really would have put it over the top for me and I'll talk about that in a little bit but um, the the thing that they do really smartly in this is they 
if if however convoluted a little bit, they managed to figure <laughs> out how to get uh, Michael Myers and Laurie Strode together without Laurie Strode being the thing that he's after. Like, the only reason that they come into contact at all in mm. this movie is because evil Dr. Loomis drives him to Laurie's house. And she just happens to oh, be there. That's a really good point. I hadn't, I hadn't really put that together. Yeah, and they've, they, take this, they take this character of Laurie Strode who was uh, so uh, affected by the horror that she witnessed at the hands of Michael Myers 40 years ago. And, she, and, she, and they turn her into this um, survivalist who is, who's basically just preparing for the day that she gets to take Michael Myers down. Um, and it's strange that that's the the thing that she's about, but her uh, crossing paths with him is completely like a little bit more than coincidental. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's designed by a character, but not like a Deus Ex Machina style. Yeah, like I agree. I think it works. Yeah, and the thing the thing that I wish they had done just to jump right to it. Is, Go for it. Uh, and I, I think this probably would have given a, the, the end of the movie a much different tone. But um, you have Laurie being so obsessed with Michael Myers and kill, trapping him and killing him in this house. She has lived every day of her life um, thinking about him and thinking about po- the, the danger of him and the possibility of, of, of taking him down. Whereas, as you learn through this movie he could not give two shits about who's in front of him. He's just going to kill whoever happens to be there. What I wish they had done is I wish that when they trapped him in the basement, and especially because there's a running theme about the doctor uh, wanting to, wanting to hear him speak and have him say something because he never says anything. He never has. Yeah. I was, I really wanted when they had him trapped in the basement at the end, when she, when Lori was looking down at him, I really wished he had said, who are you? Because in that moment, everything she had been driving towards would have been absolutely shattered because he doesn't even know who she is. He, she, he's just, he's just a killing machine and she just happens to be in the way. There was no, no magical thing that brought them together. There's no reason that he's going after her. The fact that he attacked her 40 years ago was just cause she was there. And that the fact that he attacked her 40 years later is just because she was there. But all right, so so here's here's my rebuttal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that's the reason that you find this, I hesitate to call it a relationship given your parameters, but I'm going to anyway. If that's the reason you find that relationship interesting and compelling, mm-hmm. I actually think it's better that he doesn't speak to her. Yeah. Because he's never spoken to anybody. So by by saying his only words to her it's it's marking her as special somehow true i guess i guess my feeling is that it's by having him say something like that to her um it kind of is it feels like more of an end point for her journey because she spent so much time thinking about this guy that the fact that he's like i don't even know who you are is is sort of like just a pulling the rug out from under her kind of moment, um, but I, I do I do I do understand what you're saying, yeah, yeah, and I I I also I don't know. 
So I don't know how much I believe that Michael Myers ends up back at Lori's house purely out of coincidence and that there's no recognition there whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Because he's killed a bunch of people, but it's not like he's killed like dozens or, or, you know, hundreds of people. He's, he's killed his sister. Mm -hmm. uh, And then he's killed how many, how many people does he kill in, in the original movie? Maybe four, uh, yeah, five? four or five, five. They think they say in this movie he killed five. Yeah, and she is ultimately the one who does stop him. Sure. So even if he's not like sitting incarcerated and like dwelling on her, I still think there would be like like it. It is a known fact that like serial killers, in different ways, relive their crimes. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like there would at least be some piece of him that. You know, maybe he wouldn't put together that this older woman in front of him is Lori, but I feel like it maybe wouldn't be just totally devoid of any, like, well, I don't know. I think I, I am more inclined. I also formed that opinion when I, after I saw it the first time, which was before they mentioned that they were going to do another one. So I thought if, if mm. this was going to be the end of the story, that would be a, a, a nice way to go. But yeah, yeah. I do like the idea that he doesn't realize he he eventually does realize who she is in that moment at the end like there is that moment of recognition which you Mm. could draw you could bring into some extent probably in the next two where maybe he actually is going after her now um but yeah i i i never i never got the sense that he was specifically going after her until i mean really at all um because I mean, the way that they show him killing people is 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 fairly just who happens to be in front of him, um, and they have that great scene where he that one shot scene where he just goes house to house and kills two people just for the hell of doing yeah. it. I guess. Yeah, that 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 not not to change subjects, but that scene where the camera is like outside of the living room window and the woman's inside on the phone, mm-hmm. and you see him walk by, you can see his shadow on the yeah. side of that the house next door through her windows, and then as she's chatting, he very quietly just comes in behind her, like through the back door, and kills her. Mm-hmm. That was so well done. Yeah, yeah. They they I think what the the biggest success of this movie kind of like as i said at the beginning is they they really recalibrate michael myers into something that i find interesting and scary because there's no, there's nothing scary about whatever they did to him later in in this movie series you know it's <laughs> yeah he's no but i think he is scary in the first one sure yes yeah i you know I, I again think they sort of direct him back into that not a not that exact mold but like more more similar to how he was in the original oh definitely yeah and i think that's they realize that that's the way you have to go with him because it's it's like it's kind of like uh, when we were talking about i forget which i th- was probably west craven's new nightmare where hmm. we were talking a little bit about Freddy versus Jason and how every time they tried to do that movie, whoever wrote a new draft of it just kept driving further and further off the off the road. Yeah. And it wasn't until they pulled back onto the road and were like, okay, let's just remember what makes these things work and do that. And they did that and it worked great. Um, yeah. I think with this movie, that's what makes it work so well, uh, at least from the standpoint of Michael Myers, is that they do realize going back to that first one he is this unknowable 
shape, as he's you know referred to in the, yes. in, the in the credits, uh, and by and by by name in the movie by uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> I calls saw him the shape. The shape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's this unknowable boogeyman that uh, the uh, in the in the original movies, Doctor Loomis's rants that he goes on eventually start turning into Michael is the embodiment of evil and he's yeah you know this, this <laughs> they get more and more over the top but his yes, original the devil in human form and these yeah. kinds of things his original rant like rant about Michael Myers from what I remember is more that he is just this unknowable being who just who just has violence inside him and I that is I find that much more uh scary and interesting uh as a as a movie villain i agree and i and i think something that's always been compelling to me about michael myers is that you never you never fully know i mean and i'm talking strictly about the original halloween and this movie Mm -hmm. um it's never clearly defined if he's just a man or if there is something more about him right like you're you're never it's never spelled out for you you're never told um there are a couple things that kind of hint at the fact that like he's not just human but there's nothing overt enough that it's like aha obviously he's a demon or he's you know the embodiment of all that's evil in humankind like it, it's not obvious you don't know like for all intents and purposes he's just some guy right right um and i think something that this movie does that's really interesting is you never quite see his face mm-hmm. but you do see it sort of obliquely mm-hmm. like through sort of blurred reflections or just like ever so slightly off camera or just turned away so all you see is kind of the line of 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 his jaw on one side like you see enough to know that what you're looking at is a human man Mm -hmm. but you never see a full face the only time he fully faces the camera is when he's wearing the mask right right yeah they they lean a lot on his messed up eye too you get a lot of flashes mm. of his messed up eye very quickly. That's true. Um, but yeah. yeah, I you know I was kind of struck by that a little bit um, at the beginning, where it's it's still it's still weird for me to think of Michael Myers as like a sixty one year old man, like that they they <laughs> but I have, love it. I think it's great. Yeah, I think it works. It's just it's just such a strange. It's a weird concept to, for me personally to try to have to get past because these these characters tend to be so. I mean, he's literally faceless, so they tend to yeah. be uh, sort of timeless as well. Like you know, Halloween H two O. You you don't think about oh now he's like forty five or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but but I but I think it's. So I, I don't want to get too into talking about the original Halloween mm-hmm. because I'm sure it's on our list. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I can save all of my fun trivia on that one for that episode. Um, but just in general terms, something else that I found always found compelling about the original that I think this one does a good job of replicating is that feeling of like not quite an anonymous evil, but like. He is just he's he's like a sixty one year old dude. He he's like somebody's dad's age or somebody's grandfather's age, mm-hmm. and he's still evil. 
Like, he's right. still a mass-murdering psycho. Like, age has not softened him. Like, his nature is his nature. And just because he's older now and maybe looks less frightening if you were to see him without the mask doesn't mean he's less capable of harm. Right. And I think there's something really interesting about that where it's like, you know, he's, oh, he could just be the harmless old man who lives across the street, but he's not. Yeah. And I, I, I like that tension that, that without the mask, he might be kind of weird looking, but he would just be a guy, but that doesn't change his nature. Right. Right. Which I just think makes like an interesting villain where it's not, there's not a lot of makeup. There's not a lot of like physical trait. It's not like Freddy Krueger where he's got a horrible burned face mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and his fedora and his like weapon hands. Like he doesn't, he's got the mask, but he doesn't even need all that. He just is what he is. Right. right. I don't know. Well, what we do know about him is that uh, he is annoyed as we all are by intrusive podcasters. I apologize to everybody <laughs> listening to this. Uh, that was like the most fun thing you know to it's, watch this and just say to you like hey are we looking into our future well yeah <laughs> like, are we gonna get <laughs> murdered in a gas station restroom i mean if that's what happens on the other end of us having like a, a, a an over three thousand dollar budget to do this show then <laughs> i guess we got it coming but um i i found so long as we stay under that we'll be fine yeah yeah n- no problem there Um, I found the podcaster thing interesting because the first time I saw it, I thought it was kind of cheesy. Um, this time I recognized it a little bit more as them sort of calling out some of these more graphic true crime reporters as, uh, fairly opportunistic. Um, because what they use these characters for essentially is to have them, give graphic retellings of what happened in the first movie as though they are doing it for their show yes and i i'm fine with it i think it's an it's a it's a clever way to use those types of characters but i do think it dates the movie i was just gonna say that yeah in a way that the original halloween is kind of like carrie uh as we we were saying last week where it is of the late 70s but it's not it's not rooted there like it there's not it's it's not as dated as you would think it would be because there is not a lot of um uh contemporary references and stuff it's a fairly timeless story yeah yeah no i i definitely agree like using the sort of podcasters to deliver your exposition in a slightly less ham-handed way it's sort of an interesting trick, but it definitely feels a little bit like a narrative shortcut. Mm. Yeah. Cause it's, it's like, like, it's a, it's only a couple steps away from, let's put it this way in the hands of a, of a less skilled director or filmmakers, you end up essentially with what they did with uh Halloween, the, whatever the one after H2O is with Buster Rhymes, because that one is like, about oh, reality, like a reality yeah. TV show. Yes. Oh, I did see part of that one. God, I yeah. hated it. And like you know, it's like it's <laughs> it's, it's so not terrible. It's not entirely dissimilar to that in concept because you're taking something that is popular now and and making it uh, a, a. Thankfully, in this one, it's not a huge part of the story. Whereas in the Buster Rhymes one, that's like the whole story. Um, right. 
but it does it is a, an interesting choice that i i don't know if i love yeah it's it's tough because on the one hand kind of as you just said thankfully it's not a huge part of, of the overarching movie but on the other hand because it is in the end when you when you think about this movie in totality it's a fairly minor section mm. that needs these podcasters like like pretty much we we have them in order to get the view of michael when he's still incarcerated in that awesome trippy kind of 70s feeling uh mental institution yeah yeah in, in, which was just i mean not to get too digress off my point but like visually i fucking loved that yeah that outdoor <laughs> courtyard area was oh my god awesome. yeah that was so great which is kind of we should just install those all over the place because they were social distancing fairly well having their, i mean and if you're talking about dating the show that you're listening to or watching i just did it pretty pretty successfully but <laughs> well i mean you're dating it for the entire year of 2020 apparently yeah. so um but but so we, we we use the podcasters for that which is great um and then we use the podcasters to sort of get um get into Lori's house the first time mm-hmm. But then they don't really do anything yeah. beyond that. Like, like we don't really need them for anything beyond that. And I feel like there's there's an easier way to do that without the podcasters, which is you just do that opening scene and you have the doctor going through the hospital and making his rounds. And then he goes outside and he walks up and says, you know, hello, Michael, how are mm-hmm. we today? And tries to talk to him and, and you get that kind of creepy... You know, maybe he says, oh, I'm, we're trying something new today. We're going to try to do some uh, exposure therapy. And then he pulls out the mask. Mm. Like, you could do that, essentially that same scene. And then for getting into Lori's house, you could have the 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 sheriff's deputy, whose name I am blanking on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, He could come to visit her and say, you know, hey, I just wanted to check on you because, you know, I know you know the day is coming where they're transferring him. Yeah. And you could have like essentially the same base baseline scenes with the characters you already have in that movie without trying to make it feel like contemporary right. and, and hip and with it because we're talking about podcasts. Yeah, especially because after they after they serve their exposition function, they're just killed off. Like there's no really exactly no point. To- exactly. Like if one of them survived and, and came back somehow and did something important a little bit later on at like a pivotal moment in the movie, mm-hmm. I would be like, okay, I, I see why you had them there. I see why you wanted to keep them. They, uh, but- th- they come back and they say the podcast is a hit and Michael Myers is like, oh, that's great. I'd love to do an interview for your show. And that gets him to stop killing, and they finally get to him. I, you know, it's your idea is actually is better than the one I was thinking of, which was at the very least, mm. at the very least, um, why why not just make them regular reporters who are doing an article, like a 40th anniversary article or something, instead of oh, specifically podcasters. <laughs> no one reads journalism anymore. Well, but I mean, that's or or writing a book. <laughs> writing they could be writing a book sure sure writing a book doing some sort of yeah 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 we're gonna make a film we're gonna do whatever documentary but it was like but i you know i like your idea better which is you can do the same things essentially with the characters you've already established and that was one of the things i did want to talk about because i i think we've talked about this a little bit on this show i get all my shows mixed up at this point and what i have and haven't (laughs) brought up so many i know i'm so so popular with forcing my way into people's lives um 
there, there's a there's a, a thing that I finally kind of came up with a name for, um, mm. which is the narrative cone of vision, which is a, uh, a cone of vision. It's a it's a drawing perspective term. Basically, it's it's if you're drawing something in perspective, if you go outside of the cone of vision, your perspective just starts to skew and everything just starts to lose control. So okay. the focus of your of your drawing is inside the cone of vision. And the narrative cone of vision to me is this idea of establishing how far your environment reaches. So it's like there's a reason why in Friday the 13th movies the cops never show up at the lake. You know, because once the cops yeah. show up at the lake, then that you bringing up a lot more questions like, "Oh, so Jason exists in the world? How does that in, in, you know, impact the world. It usually, right, right, right. it usually just brings up more questions and and widens your circle to the point where it's it's it doesn't feel like you are maximizing the the the, the environment and that you've set up for your story. Right, and, it doesn't add anything to the story. Right, it just all it adds is more questions. Um, yeah. and I was I was wondering about this movie if the if the cone of vision, so to speak, is too wide. Because there is a lot of peripheral stuff in this that just sort of falls by the wayside, whether it's the podcasters or uh, <laughs> Al- the excessive Lonnie references. Yeah, Lonnie, sure. Uh, the daughter's boyfriend who just disappears halfway through the movie. Um, Lonnie's son. Lonnie's son. Yes. <laughs> um, even the cop <laughs> stuff. Even the cop stuff, I feel like is is really. I know you hate you hate a cop subplot. Well, I cops, know you hate it. The cops are kind of baked into the concept of Halloween, though, because they're there in the first right. one, and they play a pretty big. Isn't Laurie's dad a cop or something, or or one of the girls' dads a cop in the fr- yes. in the original? I think. Yes. So yeah, yeah. they're they're kind of baked into the the fabric of of Halloween, but I I just wonder if. And I think what you're saying about uh, about using the characters you have to tell that exposition and tell that story is a is a is a better way to focus in on on this uh, cone of vision. Sort of, I, it sounds silly when I say it, but it's the best thing I can. <laughs> Um, but you, you know what <laughs> no, I mean? No, I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I totally agree, and I and I think part of it is that like a you're you are narrowing that sort of narrative zone and 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 narrative vision but you're also taking advantage of characters that have pre-existing relationships Mm -hmm. right that are established before the movie and you don't need to sort of like like all right the podcasters offer they they drive up to Lori's gate because of course her house is in the middle of nowhere and it's heavily secured um, so they drive up to her gate and they ring the buzzer and she looks at them through a security camera and they say, oh, we're here. We're you an investigative journalist podcast, blah, blah, blah. Interview you, Michael Myers, blah, blah, blah. And at first she doesn't want to let them in until the, uh, the, the woman of the two podcasters says, how does $3,000 sound? And then the gate buzzes and they're, they're allowed in, they go into the house. They sort of like ham fistedly throw some quasi provocative questions at her <laughs> And then she says, well, that's enough. I will take my $3,000 now and you can leave. Right. And it's like, I mean. All you all I, you do is you get her three grand that she can then give to her granddaughter. It's like, it's not. Yeah. And, yeah. and, then that's, and that's the thing. It's sort of this weird where it's like, 
she's living in a nice house like she doesn't look like she's strapped for cash maybe she is but it adds nothing to the narrative even if she was um and and so it's just this weird like three thousand dollars is a good amount of money but is it enough that she would just allow two random strangers to come into her house I, right. I don't think so. Like, the Laurie Strode in this movie is intensely paranoid. Right, right. And the idea of her just letting these people in, like, she doesn't know them. She doesn't know what they could do. I feel like that character would not be on board with that. But if it were the sheriff's deputy or, you know, somebody from her life who she knew, then I would believe that conversation a little bit more. Right, yeah. Yeah, and with the uh, with the scene at the beginning when they when they are talking to Michael outside in the courtyard, using more of the doctor, maybe it tips your hand their hand a little bit too much, but the doctor ends up playing a pretty pivotal role as far as yeah. like I said, he 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 ends up being the reason that Laurie and Michael Myers get back together. But aside from that, <laughs> back together yeah. like they were exes who broke up. Yeah, well, he's going to be he's the he's the best man he spoke at the wedding. Um, and, uh, it's, he is fairly peripheral for most of the movie. And I don't know if that is intentional to, to hide the, the twist that mm. comes about halfway through or maybe three quarters of the way through or not, but it is, or if it's just to divert a little attention away from that, that Dr. Loomis character, because it's the usual kind of character they have in these Halloween movies. I don't know. But it does make it. It feels like it makes more sense to have him have a little bit of a bigger role. Yeah, yeah, like like some sort of like showing him trying to connect with or treat Michael in some form. Mm. Um, I think would help, especially where there's there's the moment where they're loading him onto the bus, and the doctor says, you know, he's still my patient until he's dis- he's he's admitted into the new i don't know exactly what he says but he pretty much says until the transfer is complete he's still my patient so i'm i'm sticking with him till the end and he gets on the bus with all of the patients being transferred right to what i'm assuming is like a maximum security prison which just seems like <laughs> that's insane like what wh- what are you doing why are you putting yourself back there with all of them right yeah and i think it would maybe feel a little more genuine if you saw something of him in the beginning trying to be like you know 11th hour hail mary time i'm gonna try to reach him before he's completely condemned and Mm. there's no helping him or even i mean clearly he's he's got more sinister intentions about what he's trying to get oh yeah yeah yeah. no i'm 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 making the the sort of you know the excuse sure oh (laughs) sure sure yeah Well, I was going to say, he's got these sinister intentions, and so if you use him in that beginning scene as the one who's talking to Michael, you can play it as though he is honestly trying to get through to him, but then when you think about it later, it's like, oh, he's actually actively antagonizing him on purpose to try and... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, It would give this really interesting where it it would be something that you could watch the scene the first time and read it one way, Yeah, and then with the knowledge you have later on... It, it would twist it and turn it into something totally different, which yeah. I love. I love those kinds of scenes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, this being my first time watching this movie, 
I will admit, I was genuinely surprised when the doctor, uh, when when mm. the twist happened and the doctor kind of revealed that he was also a psychopath right. and was trying to uh, facilitate this sort of uh, climactic moment between Michael Myers and Laurie. I was I was surprised. It, it got me. I, yeah. I was genuinely shocked. Yeah, I remember. I remember being uh, fairly surprised at that as well, especially as, uh, that they kill the sheriff in that scene. Yeah, because he seemed like someone who was going to stick around a little bit longer, or if yeah, or possibly make be... it through all the way. Yeah, yeah, I thought there was going to be some scene where he, you know, like saved, you know, came out of nowhere and saved them, or, mm-hmm. or I don't know. You know, yeah. On, on the flip side of this narrative cone you know going too wide i think what it does really well is it recognizes and i think a lot of horror movies kind of forget this especially as as they got away from the final girl concept um and started being like oh well what if this one her boyfriend lives uh what if in this one uh, it's a boyfriend and like the the fun friend lives uh, what if in this one that you know it's it's never it's never really like narratively earned it's just like yeah. eh, we didn't kill everybody we'll this keep, time keep the final girl and the stoner right what this realizes and i think is it makes it the strongest slasher movies realize is who the focus of the movie is and those that or they are the only ones who get out alive because yeah. the focus of this story is lori her daughter and Allison. Allison? Ka- Karen is the mom. I remember that because that's a hard name to forget these days. Um, <laughs> because you've been on the internet yes, at some point yeah. in the last six months. Yeah. And um, uh, those, yeah, three, Allison. those three are the, the center of the story. So if Ray, the dad, and, and I only know that one because I looked it up. Before we started, uh, um, if Ray makes it out at the end, you don't feel anything. It doesn't. It doesn't feel earned. It doesn't feel like it makes any narrative sense. But if Ray dies, that circle of violence gets closer and closer and closer to uh, Laurie and her and daughter and granddaughter. Where I was legitimately surprised that one of them didn't die. I was expecting yeah. I was expecting the maybe the mom to die. I I thought I thought uh Jamie Lee Curtis, I yeah. thought Lori was gonna go out in a blaze of glory. That makes the most like sense, a, yes. Yeah. I thought it was gonna be sort of more of a an official passing the torch kind of right. kind of movie. But I'm glad it wasn't. Yeah. I think if, <laughs> if she did die, I think that would mark the second time in this series that Lori Strode dies. <laughs> Oh, at least because I think she dies. I think in the in the Buster Rhymes one, she definitely one, dies. Yeah, in the Buster Rhymes one, I think she dies in like the opening ten minutes or God something like that. Damn it, that fucking movie. Um, but yeah, I I was surprised that one of them didn't die, and I was happy that they didn't because I think that's that that's not what the story is about either. The story is kind yeah. of about these these three women coming together and, and using all of their strength to to uh, to take out this this monster. Um, how did you yeah, How did you feel of... about the uh, uh, the mother daughter granddaughter dynamic? 
You know, I I liked it because I think it's something with all three of those generations you don't see very often. Mm. Yeah, I can't think like of another I, I, horror movie that has three generations of people acting or working together and having problems and stuff like this. Yeah, especially three generations of women. Right. Oh, definitely, yes. Like, I, I think that's very unique. We, we see a lot of, like, um, sons and fathers and... and, 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 and you know, parent with child. I mm-hmm. shouldn't narrow it down just to, to men or women. There's a lot of those relationships in, in these movies. And then there are, every so often, there's some where it's sort of like my wise grandfather, you know, bequeathed me this secret of I'm actually a vampire hunter. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's a lot, there's not a lot, but there's some of that kind of thing, too. There's not a ton of, like, you know, grandmother, mother, granddaughter. And then also having it be this sort of like representations of bad motherhood that aren't <laughs> that, that that don't make the character like just because she was a quote unquote bad mom doesn't make her a bad person right right and i think that's interesting like it's really easy to have somebody be have a character be a bad mom or a bad dad or just like a bad parent right but it's more interesting if it's like no, but there are actual reasons behind it, and and it's it's more complicated than just like like yes, it, there there's there's the line that I think Lori says where it's, um, you know, she says some pretty much like if if the way I raised your mother was was bad and she hates me for it, but she'll live, then I can I can live with that. Right, right. And I think that's that's an interesting way of approaching this. Mm. I uh, I love how much. Um, subtle storytelling is being, or I should say, nonverbal storytelling is being done just by experiencing what the relationship of these characters is. Because if you do the math out, the Michael Myers thing happened forty years ago, so that means uh, Laurie Strode's daughter is younger than forty. She's got to be a, at least, let's say, two or three years max um, younger than 40. And she yeah. and she's married to a guy who's clearly a lot older than she is. And her daughter is also in high school, so she probably had her daughter really young, or fairly young anyway. So I think you can look into that and take a lot of stuff out of it as far as uh, what has been going on in the Strode family for uh, the past 40 years. Yeah, and there's also this interesting, um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Ginger Snaps in that the dad is really ineffectual. Mm-hmm. Like, he's sort of a goof. He's kind of a goober. He's, like, bringing up inappropriate things at the dinner with the boyfriend, and the mom is like, stop it, don't, just let it go. Don't talk about that. Like, he's kind of embarrassing. He's kind of, like, just this kind of goofy whatever guy um and when you get the flashbacks of karen's childhood as laurie's daughter there's really no mention of a dad right yeah it's just the two of them Mm -hmm. so it's like there's there's this really interesting like dearth of father figures yeah and it makes which is it makes sense that her she would probably have married an older guy too it, it, yeah, exactly. Like, like she's kind of looking for this, like, stability and, like, yeah. But, but oh, another thing I was going to say is there there aren't a lot of 
father figures and older men in this movie, but like the majority of people who die in this movie are men. Yeah. Yes. Very I much think so. only yeah. one woman dies. I think I think Lori uh Lori Jesus, I think Allison's friend dies and i think she's the only one well uh the two people that he kills in the the, the one shot going house oh, to house are both right, women right, right but as far as like yep, yep, yep. characters who have speaking roles yes they're pretty much all male yeah i think so yeah yeah it's just interesting it's it's kind of a reversal because i feel like most horror movies you either get a roughly equivalent body count in terms of gender or sometimes you get a lot more women mm. getting murdered. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't. I hadn't thought about that actually. Um, but that's a good point. There are. It is. There's. Well, there's only one, two, three, four. There's really only four women in the movie, and then, well, oh, five if you count the podcaster. She got killed. Um, <laughs> that's true. So there's five women in the movie, and then. Probably at least five, if not like no, there's more than five men in the movie. So yeah. there's actually yeah, there's actually more male characters than female characters, and all of the men get killed, <laughs> and right, only like, only because, one of the two of the women get killed. Right, because there's more male characters, but they're kind of more secondary or even right. tertiary, right. Yeah. like like less important characters. It's just an interesting kind of you know to to, to sort of like. I think this movie does a good job of focusing on that, like, uniquely female experience of the fear mm. of physical violence being perpetrated on you yeah. without becoming preachy or, like, like throwing it too far in your face or, like, overdoing it in terms of, like, we're going to get real gender studies about this. Like, it, it doesn't do that, but it still focuses that experience in a way that I think actually really works. Yeah, I think so too, and I think it's a lot. Um, it's a lot. It's it's really strong in the uh, the message as far as that goes, but it's not it's not beating you it's not beating you over the head and, and going for like a really like let's all do the Rosie the Riveter thing into the camera yeah. like girl powery <laughs> thing. It's like no, they're just yeah they're they're flawed women uh, who are put in the situation and they and they and they and they come out stronger at the end of it it's i think it's a good story i do too and i i, I like the fact that like even Lori, who is you know been preparing for this for for her whole life and all of this stuff like she's not sort of a um uh you know a linda hamilton sarah connor style badass mm -hmm. like She's she's pretty badass, but she's like realistically badass, right. and she also is deeply flawed. Like she clearly was a super fucked up mother. Uh, she's probably a bit of an alcoholic. Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> from what we get, um, she's willing to sort of jerk around the podcasters. Like she's not nice in any mm -hmm. any form of the word, really. Um, she's also still scared of Michael Myers. Like she's yeah, she's yeah. not, you know. Uh, Linda Hamilton in, in Terminator, she's scared to an extent, but she is very much like a kick down the door, proactive, I'm going to do a bunch of pull-ups in my, my cell kind of person. <laughs> Whereas Jamie Lee Curtis... I'm going to make everyone who watches this a little bit gay. Yeah. <laughs> um, even, uh, but Lori is, is a lot more like she is just preparing for the worst and even at the end it's not like when they finally do 
Michael and Laurie finally do come to blows with each other. It's not like, you know, shotgun cock, let's do right. this. You know, she's she's scared. <laughs> she's fighting for her life against this monster. And she's taken precautions, but they've only gotten her so far, and she almost gets killed because of it. Yeah, yeah, and I and I I like that a lot because I think where there are that where there is that feeling that Michael Myers is maybe a little bit, maybe not like more than human, but outside of human. Like his, mm-hmm. it, like it, it's it's clear that you know his brain does not function the way a normal person's brain does. He doesn't share the same feelings and emotions and and associations that the average person does. So he's just like outside of the human experience and and Lori is very deeply in it yes which i think is like a, a really great contrast between the two of them where she is she is constantly dealing with her emotions and her circumstances and and the things that are happening to her have an effect on her that she then needs to react to and alter her her choices or do something about whereas michael myers is just like tunnel vision i'm gonna kill a bunch of people nothing's gonna stop me or stand in my way i'm not gonna bother with anything else right right now um if we're stripping away characters that aren't needed in this movie oh boy um do you feel like allison is 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 a necessary character because she almost feels kind of superfluous doesn't she Yes and no. Yeah. I guess, Mike, because I was thinking about it as we were talking about uh, uh, the who the story's about and all this kind of stuff. I was thinking how nine times out of ten, and I think they may have actually done something like this already in the Halloween franchise, but nine times out of ten, this story is Laurie Strode. Laurie Strode's estranged daughter. Laurie Stro- <laughs> Strode's granddaughter, but the granddaughter is like five. You know what I mean? Ah, where it's yeah, yeah. where it the the granddaughter becomes more of a um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? N- not liability, but it's another element of the fear being built into it. Like, oh god, now there's a kid involved. Whereas mm. Allison is is fifteen, sixteen, however old she's supposed to be. She is a a young adult capable woman, but if you look at what she does in this movie, her role is really not important kind of yeah yeah i it's other than so at the it's end tough. I guess. yeah but it it's also tough because it, it, the question is kind of like how much purpose does she serve? And specifically to this narrative, mm-hmm. to this exact story that's being told in this movie, and then how much of a purpose does she serve as sort of a, a symbol or a touchstone or a reference point to a lot of things in the horror movie genre in general, mm-hmm. and the Halloween franchise kind of in the middle of that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like narratively in this movie, I think the purpose she kind of ultimately serves is the bridge between her, her mother and her grandmother yeah, and kind of bringing point. them back together. Yeah. Um, Cause it motivates like, why are they together when all of this starts? It's because Allison stops answering her phone. Right. Right. Uh, and that coupled with the fact that 
the the bus transport has has crashed and all the inmates have escaped it's like oh god mm-hmm. it's happening again and that's enough to get Lori and her daughter to reconcile because they they both love the granddaughter right right and then on the other hand for the for the Halloween franchise it it she stands in for Lori when Lori was younger and and sort of like cuz cuz Lori in in the original is you know she's a little more practical than her friends she's she's kind of like she's she's nice and she's friendly but she's got a little bit of like a no nonsense streak to her like she's mm. a little bit more down to earth than a lot of the other teenagers mm-hmm. and you can see that in the granddaughter right and so i think yeah like having the echoes of just sort of like putting that same kind of character who's like young and sheltered but maybe not naive like putting putting her back in peril kind of you know it, it harkens back to the original movie in a way that i think people who are fans of it find satisfying yeah yeah it's just it's interesting thinking about the characters in this movie and thinking about who they end up focusing on it's it's just it's because yeah. she is kind of the focus she's because laurie's kind of the main character but she's also kind of not I, I guess she te- I, she kind of splits equal time with Allison and Allison doesn't feel like she's necessarily driving the story she's sort of being fairly reactionary um, but yeah. you do get this thing at the end when they're driving away where I, I don't know how you interpreted that final shot of her with the, the knife in her hand but my thought was just this idea of of generation of trauma being passed down through generations where it's like now it's oh, yeah. now it's her turn yeah <laughs> i mean the mom yeah, the and- mom got out of it i mean the mom didn't have to deal with this i guess it skips a generation <laughs> well i think her trauma was like her childhood right right yes yeah yeah um god i was going to say something and i lost it shit all right i'll try and think of it again but yeah it's just it's just this this, I guess it's this idea that Michael has not only impacted Lori's life, but has impacted uh, the daughter's life and the granddaughter's life because of, of what happened to Lori and how she dealt with it. Yeah, and, and so I, I got my thought back. Um, I, it, it's interesting, like, what you were just saying about how, like, this sort of, like, who's the main character and, like, all of that's kind of fuzzy. Mm-hmm. It almost reminds me of the second movie in trilogies. Sure. Where there's that sort of like mushy feeling like narratively where there's like some references to things that happen in the first one, but they're clearly also kind of setting up for another one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie has a little bit of that. Like there's enough sort of like callbacks and like fun playful references to the original that i think it's it, it's it smooths it out a little bit but it does the more i think about it like kind of introducing the daughter and the granddaughter and, and these different things it does feel a little bit like it is sort of intentionally dropping in a few elements that leave a door open for a third movie in this version yeah. of the halloween franchise which there will be because they shot them i believe which they shot them be? back to back um, oh wow! Really? Yeah. The uh, this the next one comes out next year, twenty twenty one. They actually just coincidentally dropped the <laughs> because the teaser nothing trailer. comes out in twenty twenty. Yeah, dead zone. 
The Oscars, I was thinking the other day, the Oscars are going to be really interesting uh, next year. Oh, that, <laughs> I don't, it's going to be all Netflix just, movies. Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, they uh, <laughs> as we're recording this, the, the day before, they just dropped the first teaser trailer for Halloween Kills, which is the second movie. Um, mm. I am. I would put money heavily on Laurie does not make it out of the second movie. Yeah, like that. That just makes sense. I, maybe that's too easy, too 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 much of a of a of a cliche. I mean, but it feels like feels like she's she's not making it out of the second movie. I, I mean, at, at at some point, Jamie Lee Curtis probably wants to like sit down. Yeah, like. <laughs> At some point, just like uh, being like, you know, ass kicking Laurie Strode is is got to be a little exhausting for a woman of her uh, golden years. Mm. So I I agree. I, I don't I don't see her being in a Halloween Kills two electric boogaloo. <laughs> um, the music in this movie fantastic, uh, <laughs> done by. John Carpenter and his son Cody and oh. his godson whose name is uh Clay McCormick. Yeah, I wish. Uh his godson <laughs> Daniel Davies, they they've been working with him the past few years on um the original albums that he's put out called Lost Themes and Lost Themes 2. Um uh, it's his first involvement with the series since I believe Halloween 3. And wow. uh, he still got it, man. That's a great soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's it's really it's really great. I think it does a great job of pulling forward some of the the music and the sounds and and the sort of general tone from the original mm. while doing something kind of new and different with it as well. Yeah, it's definitely they they definitely found the right balance between. Um, referencing the old stuff and also having a, a more modern sound to it uh it's funny i after after we watched it last night i was thinking about how much i love the soundtrack and which i own on vinyl and i i also own the soundtrack to um halloween three and i've remembered <laughs> that carpenter and uh his writing his music partner at the time alan howarth how howarth i think his name is also did the music for That's... Halloween 2. And so I went back and I listened to that soundtrack. Oh. It sounds a lot. It's it's very similar to the Halloween 3 soundtrack, except it also has the Halloween theme in it, which 3 <laughs> does not. Um, does it have the silver shamrock? Unfortunately, jingle, no. Uh, there are the, the masks are in this, though. <laughs> During the Halloween sequence, that was great. That was a really that was a really yeah. fun little you sort know, of Easter egg. Halloween, having the witch and the skeleton and the pumpkin mask. Halloween three is one of those movies. I know people love it. I see why people love it, but it's. I don't think it's a good movie. I don't particularly love it, but I do really appreciate <laughs> the stuff around it. Like the, I, I really yeah. like the imagery of those masks and stuff. <laughs> And the soundtrack is it's really a movie, good. It's a movie that's not not always the best to watch, but it's great to know about. Exactly. That's a really good way to put it. Man, you're a really good editor. <laughs> oh, God. Take, it's almost like I do it for, uh, for pay every day. You just take my ramblings and just funnel them down into something that sounds a lot, a lot better. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I don't know why. It's just one of those movies where it's just the yeah the uh, the the stuff around it is 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 fun. But it's not. It's a nice. It was a nice try for what they were trying to do yeah. to do this sort of um, spin off thing to turn it into a anthology type movie series. It, it was a, it was a nice try. Um, unfortunately, people were coming for Michael, not for uh, the concept of Halloween. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, the soundtrack to Halloween 2 is a lot more of its time. Um, and I think this one managed to also feel kind of timeless in that it, it's it's very much the same kind of feeling as the original, but they do bring it to a, a fairly modern place without it sounding like they're not. It's not like it's not like they did the stuff they were doing in like the 90s where it would be, ooh, the Halloween theme, but it's got like this industrial <laughs> remix to it or some shit like that. You know what I mean? Or the early 90s where it's got a funky beat. Ooh, yeah. Oh, like uh, <laughs> Friday the 13th Part 3 when they remix yeah. the theme into that awesome like <laughs> disco song. Oh, my God. I'm so glad that you knew that was what I was thinking. Of. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, but you know, great, great soundtrack. Um, I hope I. I don't know why he's not doing soundtracks for other movies. Because if I had the money, I would hire him to do my soundtrack in a heartbeat. I, I get the vibe that part of it is he he very much guards his uh, creative freedom and his artistic yeah, freedom. I think he does. At this I don't point, think yeah. he likes doing things that other people get to have a final say on. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a very good, very good thought. Yes. And who can blame him? Um. Oh, I just briefly talk about the mask a little bit um Mm. because you you mentioned last night that the mask looks great in this which i agree with and the honestly the mask is what puts me off from most of these halloween movies because it almost always looks terrible (laughs) (laughs) it looks good in the first one but it's i don't know why they couldn't manage to get it right but every single one of the sequels it just looks stupider and cheaper but they managed to nail it in this one. I mean, again, I don't want to go too far into to original Halloween territory on this, but there is a whole, you know, kind of kind of real life mythos behind the mask. Mm. Where you know this, right? Oh yes, the the Shatner mask. Yes, yes that yeah. it's that it's a, a William Shatner kind of. I don't even remember who was like an official William Shatner mask or sort of like a ripoff mm-hmm. William Shatner mask where uh, it was at the point where William Shatner had gained a bit of weight, shall we say. <laughs> so he'd lost a little bit of the bone structure that made him uh, such a hottie in the original Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they, they just kind of took that and spray painted it white and then put this like crazy hair on it. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like part of why that worked is that it was fairly simple. Right, yeah. And then later on, different iterations kept trying to, like you were saying uh, before about, you know, they kind of kept trying to, like, they took it off the rails, they wanted to go in a different direction, they sort of gussied it up. And the reason why I think it works in this one is it goes back closer to that original, but it also has sort of, like, wear and tear Mm. and, like, age marks. Yeah, I you know I actually, uh, I actually really like the mask in the Rob Zombie, the first Rob Zombie remake too, for the same reason because hmm. they they managed to find a nice like weathered sort of uh, play, way to do it. And it's yeah, I think the thing with the Michael Myers mask is it is it is a very exceptionally simple thing, 
simple design, simple image. But simple is very difficult to do. It's not yeah. just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy to do. Um, yeah. Because at least at least if you're going by like drawing, I know this much. Uh, if your style is a very simple style, you have to consider every line you put down that much more before you do it. Because you can't waste mm-hmm. any, you know, you only have your, yeah. you're keeping things limited. And so you have to consider what you're doing that much more because you don't have any line line to waste or, or compositional space to waste. And when you're dealing with a mask that's just white with hair on it, that's surprisingly <laughs> difficult to get to look not stupid. <laughs> yeah. And I think for most of the sequels, they don't manage to make it look not stupid. <laughs> I, I I would agree with that. And I think that part of the reason why it's so great when it's done right is is that that sort of blank affect. Mm. Like like we we get so much information about other people from their faces that we don't even realize. Mm-hmm. And so the whole the whole reason why masks are scary at all is that they take that away from us. Mm-hmm. And having that mask that that like you know, pretty roughly approximates approximates a real human face, but then have it like devoid of any even possible expression mm. makes it like kind of uniquely frightening in a way that, like, I always found Freddy, you know, Freddy Krueger kind of kind of laughable. Mm. You know, he's got like exaggerated. He's great. I love him, but he's got these like exaggerated features, and he's always kind of mugging for the camera sure, a little bit. Sure. Um. And then Jason's wearing a hockey mask, which is like, yeah, subjectively scary. But there's just something different about the sort of like a human face that can never make an expression. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I've always found that interesting. I also like that. I like that the mask in this one has aged along with the man Mm. who wears it. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I like that that sort of pairing of like nobody, nobody bought this mask in the early days of the internet and like put it in the glass case and kept it pristine. Right. Like that mask looks like it's seen some shit. Right. Yeah. Which is interesting. Did you, have you seen, um, I think it's the trailer for Halloween H2O. There's a, a famous shot where, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis sees Michael Myers through like the window of a door, like they're face to face with just the glass in front of them. And it's like the first time she's seen him in 20 years or whatever. And apparently the mask in that scene is CGI because the mask oh, they used really? on the day is just just looked awful. And so they had to go in. And this is like 19. 19- <laughs> I haven't gone back. I got to go back and look at it and see what it looks like. But this is 1998. So I can't imagine it looks great. But again, maybe it's simple Probably enough. Probably not. Maybe it's simple enough that they managed to hide it. But have you ever seen have you seen the uh, Rob Zombie remake? No, no. I no. wouldn't recommend it. It's. <laughs> Uh, I I appreciate what he was trying to do, but I think um, he widened the narrative cone way too much, and so the first like half of the movie is just let's learn every little detail about Michael Myers's backstory and why he became a, a monster, which oh, is yeah, just it's that one, yeah. And it's a Rob Zombie movie, so everybody in it is like a shit kicking redneck that just says like cunt a lot. Um, <laughs> Sorry, mom. Um, but I will say. Also, sorry, mom. Yeah, I will say. Uh, 
you're sorry for associating with people with such dirty mouths. <laughs> exactly. I will say the second half of the zo- the Rob Zombie one, where they start to do the actual Halloween story, I actually thought was pretty good because hmm. he managed to uh, dial it up to the point where the um, it felt less like campy horror movie horror movie slasher violence and it felt a lot more real and visceral so michael myers killing people in that one just felt that much scarier because of how visceral it was which i actually thought was a little bit lacking in this one because he's i was actually gonna say that yeah like some of the kills i i I couldn't tell i couldn't tell if it was because i felt like some of them were so predictable so i was very ready for Mm -hmm. it or if they just kind of happen with without a lot of like fanfare yeah i was thinking just now aside from the podcasters i yeah do we actually see him uh we don't really see him kill people that much it's a lot of off-screen stuff the most the most uh the goriest thing that he does that we see is when he stomps on that uh, the doctor's head but aside from that most Mm. of the killing happens off-screen or is obscured in some way um, we see a lot of his, uh, the craftiness with his staging after the fact, whether it's the, <laughs> the gate through that kid's jaw or pulling that other dude's jaw. A lot of jaw violence in this movie. Um, a lot of jaw violence. But yeah, it's not really, you don't, I don't, I never really got the sense of how scary and visceral of a murderer he was. Yeah, I, I, I think part of the problem for me because I think the original, like, a lot of the violence was obscured. Mm-hmm. Like, there wasn't a ton of overt violence that wasn't done sort of like either, you know, you're peering out through the eyes of the mask mm-hmm. like Michael, and so you're only seeing these two little circles. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's behind a, it's in the dark, it's behind the door, it's something like that. I, I think the thing that 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 i i missed in this movie was that sense of suspense yeah that's yeah that sense that that the victim was really genuinely unaware and then there was going to be an extended period of him stalking Mm. them and them maybe getting a little uncomfortable and a little nervous but sort of writing it off as like oh it's just the wind or it's just my imagination or i i'm just hearing things i'm being silly i'm being ridiculous like there's so much of that in the original movie and it works so well. Whereas in this movie, there are like glimpses of that and there are, there are moments, but they're very brief. Mm. And in some cases they're not there at all. Like I, I would argue that the most suspenseful one is um, when he goes into the, the house with um, Allison's friend yeah. who's babysitting. Yeah. Like, that sequence was great. Mm -hmm. I thought that one was really, really well done. But when he's sort of going from house to house, it's sort of like almost like cut together a little too quick. Right. Like, they don't kind of let it breathe long enough for us to appreciate just how frightening it is that he's like, everybody's out trick-or-treating in this very busy neighborhood, and he's still stalking around in backyards and coming into houses and killing people. Right. And we're not really given the time to, like, absorb that for how frightening it is. Yeah, they've got they've got some good bits. Like the, like you said, the, the, the one with him where he kills the uh, the friend 
is great where he's in the closet and stuff. That stuff is really good. Yeah. Uh, the scene with the um, uh, motion sensor is really great. Um, and he, but even there, it's like we, we don't see him. We, we see the result of that. We don't actually see him kill anybody. Um, right. But yeah, there, there is that element. And I think, unfortunately, it's because there's a lot of plot in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, they feel on. like they had to cut things because they were pressed for time. Yeah. Like, I, one of my big pet peeves um, is when is uh, unnecessary, and I, this is sort of a, co- a narrative cone thing, is unnecessary movement um, in mm. of your characters. So, for instance... Um, in in the new season series of Star Trek Picard, um, they have this big location that they're driving towards, which is this Borg cube that's that they're doing research on and shit. We are currently watching it. Oh, you are okay. Well, yeah. I think yeah. I can. So I'm I'm most of the way through. We only have like the last two episodes. Okay, left, all right. So, so I, I yeah, you'll you'll good. understand what I'm talking about then. So yes. they go. They they kind of the Borg cube is sort of this big location, and then Picard goes to the Borg cube. And then immediately leaves and then has yeah, to go has to back. bail like right away. Yeah. And then he has to go back to the Borg cube again later. And it's ah. that sort of like backtracking that I don't like narratively. And which is why it stands out to me that you've got Michael in town doing all of this stuff. And then you have to kind of artificially figure out a way to transport him to Lori's house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of yeah. instead of that neighborhood being the place where okay, this is where everything comes to a head. You have right, things- which would be kind of great mm-hmm. if it was like it was um, Karen's house and Allison's house instead of Lori's house, right. where she didn't have all of yeah. her like traps and tools and things pre set up. Yeah. Like she just like oh shit, I'm back here in just a normal suburban house having to make do with like a kitchen knife and nothing else. Yeah, because. Because that's another thing that I that I get annoyed with sometimes too. But because her house is very cool, but yeah. <laughs> I I kind of have this thing story wise where if you start the story with an advanced weapon, part of the story has to be that <laughs> weapon not working or not being available when you need it to work. So you have to find yeah. another way around it. Like uh, the the second Independence Day movie drove me fucking crazy that at no point. <laughs> do their futuristic <laughs> weapons stop working and they have to find another way to kill the aliens. It's just like, no, we just have future weapons now. We can shoot everybody. Like, you know, like th- that's... Yeah, yeah, we just need a bigger future weapon. Yeah, because like you've got this <laughs> you've got this element that brings you confidence going into your, into your problem and then, oops, the weapon is taken away or the element is taken away, so now you have to readapt to the situation to figure out how you're going to... Uh, conquer the villain without your magic sword or whatever you want to call it right it adds it adds a level of tension back into the narrative where things once seemed like they would be pretty easily explained or or steady it it, it sort of it 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 destabilizes the characters Mm -hmm. and it destabilizes you as the audience member at the same time because you've also been counting on like oh okay she's gonna go back to the house and she's gonna get him in her 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 booby trapped murder house and she's gonna kick his ass and then if that kind of thing doesn't happen or it's taken away then you also like at the same time as the characters feeling this way you think oh shit she's not gonna get to use all her booby traps what is she gonna do right 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that never really happens. Like even because it's it's kind of it's kind of a coin flip because you, you want to see the cool house do the thing that the house is going to do. But yeah. <laughs> the, it kind of never really goes poorly for them. Like it, it kind of works the way they intended it to work. And uh, Michael yeah. never really kind of gets gets a, a leg up on on the on the murder house there. Um, so <laughs> the, murder, yeah. the murderer, the murderer, murder house. Yeah, that's just just nitpicky stuff. My own yeah. story, hang up stuff. I think overall this movie is 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 really good. I, it's I think it is easily the best sequel of all of the Halloween sequels. Um, oh yeah. And I mean, maybe that's easy for me to say because I don't like any other ones. But I was gonna say, I mean, it's kind of like, well, uh, I, I will, I will try to say it in a nicer way. I feel like this movie exceeded by far a very low bar. <laughs> <laughs> and who can argue with praise like that? Um, so just, just quickly, because we've we've gone very long. Um, oh no! D- how do you feel about the placement? This is number ninety. Uh, this is ranked as the 90th greatest horror film of all time. Too high, too low? I, I I think it should be over 100. I think so, too. Yeah. If we're going by uh, our established bar, which is The Shining, I think it should definitely yeah. be lower on the list than The Shining. Or closer to 200 yeah, this, than this comes in. this comes in above The Shining. Like, yeah. like, in terms of, like, closer to number one. Yep. Which is... It, I just I can't I, I maybe that's not a fair barometer given the algorithm that Rotten Tomatoes uses, but I cannot get I cannot get past it. Yeah. Whenever we're watching a movie and it's it's below it, it, it's between numbers one and a hundred, and I just have to keep thinking to myself like, is this better than Stanley Kubrick's The Shining? Right. And I'm sure some people disagree with me, and those people are wrong. <laughs> Uh, I mean, if it, if that bar doesn't work for you, this is two spots higher than Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, uh, yeah, like what? Yeah. Like, I, I, this is a great, this is a great sequel. Yes, but it just just by the very nature of it being a sequel, and we're talking about the two hundred greatest horror movies of all time. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't see it coming in beyond like 130 yeah i would agree i would agree yeah well the algorithm strikes again i guess god damn it so yeah that's gonna do it for halloween 2018 (laughs) hope you enjoyed our in-depth dive into all of the things we would remove from this movie uh while also coming out of the other end saying we really liked it um, yes, yes. I mean, is there consistent? We are not. There's not. Is there really a, a a greater sign of respect other than saying everything you would change about the thing that you like? I don't think so. <laughs> I agree. I I think you'll know we really don't like a movie when we spend the entire hour and a half talking, trying to find things we do like about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's something to consider as well, because. We've done <laughs> 17 movies, and we have yet mm. to hit one where we both don't like it. That's a good point. So, I mean, I guess if your list is the 200 greatest, the, you're kind of going into that <laughs> assuming they're all going to be pretty good. But Tune in next time for I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the oh, House. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I might be asleep for that show, but... Um, <laughs> I'm gonna. What are we doing next time? Well, I'm gonna hit the randomizer. Beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, 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 
and we will be doing number 185, Candyman. <laughs> Which I, I'm excited, because I've only seen that movie once, and it was a very long time ago. So I, I, uh, I'm, 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 ha- I'm happy to have an excuse to rewatch it. I am excited to watch it because I feel like I tried to watch it with a couple friends when I was very young, and they got very upset, and we shut it off. Upset because they they don't like black people? (laughs) Jesus Christ. Upset because they were like 11-year-old girls, and I was like, let's watch this movie. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what kind of people you were hanging around with then, but... All right, let's let's not let's not get political. <laughs> um, yeah, so that'll be fun. Um, and uh, thank you for joining us. If you like the show, if you want to give us a rating or review on iTunes, that would be great. Uh, and if you got any questions or anything, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dead Meat Comic. And uh, Amanda, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Clay. Anytime. We will see you next time. Bye, everybody.